If you follow Jesus, be careful because you're going to start resembling him. Sometimes when you do this, it's going to seem to happen all at once. Have you ever met those people? One minute they're like running with gangs. The next minute they're on street corners sharing Christ. Sometimes your life is going to look like that. You're going to look like the guy in last week's story, Saul. He was like that. One moment he was on his way to kill Christians. And seemingly the next moment... He's being hunted alongside them as their friends. Sometimes it's like that, but for others, it looks more like the man we're going to look at this week, a guy named Peter. His life change took a bit longer. He served with Jesus for years, and even right now, though he's been in the spotlight, Now he's serving a bit more behind the scenes. He's not really the central character of Acts anymore. And in fact, soon he's going to fade into the background as Saul becomes the primary focus. And my point here is that while their lives look quite different, they both have the exact same purpose in mind. In fact, so do all Christians. And that purpose statement is where Acts began in chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read that and remind you. This is where Luke writes to the recipient, Theophilus, who was a very important person. He said in the first book, that's the book of Luke, the account of Jesus, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Jesus began the launch of God's kingdom on earth and people like Peter and Saul are continuing what Jesus started. Their proof of Jesus, in fact, is that they look like him. They're acting in a Christ-like way. And today we're going to see the proof in Peter's life. So here's where we're at in that big story. Just before Saul's conversion, that big story last week, we read in chapter 8 about more Jews being reached through evangelism. And that work has continued according to chapter 9, verse 31, which is where we left off. So in the midst of this big conversion story with Saul are many little stories behind the scenes involving Peter. And we're going to zero in on two of those stories today as Peter does a pair of miracles that's going to make him look almost exactly like Jesus. And there's a point to that. And for us, that means the same thing. There is no higher purpose for a Christian. So let us to consider that Christ-like purpose as we read about the first of those two miracles by Peter. So let me now read Luke chapter, or Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 35. This is the first miracle. 
Listen for similarities between things that Jesus has done. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Okay, that was a short and sweet story. So what's being said here? Well, the first thing Luke is telling us is that as Christ-like people work, the broken will be saved. So what's happened is Peter is visiting with saints, or you could just say believers, in a town called Lydda, and he encounters a man named Aeneas. And some people, because this is a Jewish town and he's visiting the saints, would argue that Aeneas is a Christian. I'm not sure, because in verse 33, he's described as a man, whereas in the next section, the woman there Peter interacts with is specifically called a disciple. But what is clear is that Aeneas is well known for one thing, and that is being paralyzed. He's been bedridden for eight years, and all of a sudden, Peter shows up, and he's not. Now, this story should sound really familiar. And in fact, I think that's going to help us interpret what's going on. Back in chapter 3, Peter's first act of healing was actually a well-known invalid. I preached on it. In fact, Peter's words from chapter 3, verse 6 were this, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And here his words are almost the same. Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And I don't think the slight differences in wording are really of consequence. But what is of consequence is first what Peter repeats. Where he's drawing his authority from. In the name of Jesus Christ. He's being Christ-like, you might say, because that's the basis of the authority by which he's doing his work. Here's what else we know from chapter 3, and it's another really significant thing. Peter's miracle was not simply about the healing of the person. It was deliberately public to gather attention to a well-known invalid so that many people would be saved. That's what happened in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, Peter got his goal. About 5,000 people were saved. In fact, it says 5,000 men... So that means, arguably, you might say some women and some families. That's how they counted things then. So how about here in chapter 9? Well, it looks like, according to verse 35, that all of Lydda, that could be hyperbole, it could have just been a lot of people, and people from the nearby coastal plain of Sharon, they come to believe too. Now, we don't know exactly how many people that was. I'd like to think it was a bigger amount. So perhaps with even bigger results, that's the point of the miracle. Do you get it? The point of the miracle is salvation. 
One broken man isn't simply physically healed. Thousands of broken spiritual people are healed. That's the point. This looks familiar on purpose because that's exactly what Jesus did. Here's one example from all the way back in Luke chapter 5. I'll just sum it up. You might have heard this one. It's a story of a paralytic man who was lowered through the roof of a very busy house by his friends and Jesus sees him and he heals him. And Jesus states what his goal is in Luke chapter 5 verse 24. He says, But that you might know that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus was bringing in a new kingdom where Broken people aren't just physically healed, but they're spiritually saved. That's what he's getting at. That's his purpose statement. And Peter here is just doing the exact same thing. So how would the original audience apply this? Well, Theophilus who received this letter, would likely remember Luke's purpose statement in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then he would remember Jesus in the book of Luke. And then he'd look at Peter, and he'd look back at Jesus, and he'd look at Peter, and he'd say to himself, well, Peter's not a rebel. Peter's continuing exactly what Jesus started. This growing kingdom, it's not corrupt, it's not weird, it's a real thing. So how can we apply this? Well, here's one way. Remember that the real healing is salvation. And that sounds like a cheapo consolation prize if you're sick. But just bear with me. In fact, let me tell a story about this and... I'll give you a bonus. It's not even about me. (laughs) Because I haven't actually faced a lot of physical suffering in my life. So I talked to Bonnie, who many of you know. She's one of the more experienced members of the church. And uh, here's her story. Bonnie has been suffering from a rare form of blood cancer for the past 17 years. And at one point, she was hospitalized for a heart problem and she got a drug-resistant infection that they treated with an antibiotic which gave her another type of drug-resistant infection. I know, you're waiting for the healing. Just bear with me. So at 4 a.m. every day while she's in the hospital dealing with this, and I'm not sure where in the 17 years this is, but does it really matter? She's sitting here and at 4 a.m. every day the phlebotomist would come into her room and just start taking her blood. Lights on, taking your blood. 4 a.m. every morning. Now if that happened to you during all that, how nice would you be? Maybe you'd be quiet at the most. That's probably where I'd be. Here's what Bonnie did. These are her own words. She said, I tried to be as kind as possible to this poor woman who's just doing her job. 
And she says to me, I can't believe how nice you are. You're like the nicest person I've ever met. And Bonnie says, I was able to tell her that it was because of Jesus that I could be kind. It wasn't me. It was because of his help. And as a result, they were able to continue their conversations each morning. Now, some of you might be rejoicing at hearing that story. But if you were expecting a healed, a healing, you might be a bit disappointed right now. And if that's you, because when I first heard the story, that's how I felt. Let me remind you of what this text teaches us, what we learn from Aeneas. We should pray for healings. And healings are great. But that's not the ultimate goal of the follower of Jesus. Jesus is after a much deeper healing. He's after salvation. And that has got to be the cry of our hearts too. Now I don't want to be cute here. Because again, you might say, yeah, Dan, you haven't suffered. I know. I've watched people suffer. (laughs) And I'm going to suffer someday. I admit, pain is very real. The little dashboard I'm feeling currently, little dashboard light I'm seeing go off at age 42, it's only going to get brighter and bolder. I know that. But as we pray for others, or as we pray for ourselves, as sickness rages on, we must remember that our present body is temporary. And salvation promises us something more. This offers us what Bonnie demonstrated. It offers us something the world can't offer. Hope not only for this life. Because if that's where your hope is, you're not nice to the phlebotomist. But no, as we see in Peter's next miracle, we get hope for the life to come. Let me read the second miracle in verses 36 through 43. This one has a little bit more detail. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity, and in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with him. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa 
for many days with one Simon, a tanner. The second thing Luke is telling us here is that for the Christ-like, the dead will live. Let me make a few quick observations, then I want to point out what's so significant about this resurrection story here. First, Tabitha. By the way, Dorcas, now I'm just going to call her Tabitha. (laughs) Um, She's a believer, hence the word disciple in verse 36. She seems kind of like a Bonnie, doesn't she? Full of good works and generous and the kind of person that you'd want to keep around forever. I think we have some of those people here in this church. You just never want them to leave. But in verse 37, she dies. We don't really get to know her, aside from those few words. I mean, this scene really makes me sad. I mean, I think about death a little more every year. And um, like I said, I might not have suffered physically, but I've seen it. Um, Not only this current season, but just as I get older and I see the generation ahead of me die. Every week, every month, somebody else. And I remember when they were so full of life. Do you? That's like this scene. There is so much sadness in this upper room. They're holding up the things she made for them. There's sadness, but that's not all. Now we know Peter is about to do something amazing in the upper room. But here's my point. If you know your Bible... This is nothing new, what about, what's about to happen. Here's a few examples, and they have a lot to do with the upper room. Let me go back to the Old Testament. I'll just sum these up. But you can write them down if you want first. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, specifically starting in verse 12, there's a beloved young man, and he dies... And he's revived, he's brought back to life by a prophet named Elijah in an upper room. And then the revived son is presented by Elijah to his mother. And as a result, the boy's mother believes. Then, in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a beloved young man. And he dies, and he's revived by a prophet named Elisha. It's Elijah's successor. And this happens in an upper room. In fact, it's the roof. So you can't get more upper than that. And the revived person is presented by Elisha to his mother. And as a result, the boy's mother believes. Now, there's more examples, but I'll give you one more. And it's from the New Testament. It's from Luke chapter 8. In verse 49, and there's also a parallel account in Mark chapter 5, verse 35. There's a beloved young girl. She dies. And she is brought back to life by Jesus. Now, it's not in an upper room, 
but it's God, so you can trust that resurrection's involved. And this girl is brought back and presented by Jesus, and again, there's great amazement. Do you see the resemblance? Peter is imitating Jesus, who himself was telling the same story that Elijah, Elisha, and others did. And here's the story. In God's kingdom, death does not have the final word. So Peter, once again, is simply continuing what Jesus started. Just as it was in other accounts, Peter raises up Tabitha and presents her to her friends. Could you imagine the party that would happen? If the reader hasn't been completely convinced up to this point that Jesus is clearly working through Peter, they should be convinced now. The problem at this point is not the Bible. The problem is the reader, if you are not convinced. I hope Luke has convinced you. Because this actually sets the reader up to know without any doubt that what's next is also true to Jesus' mission. Because what happens next in our text, that's next week, is a huge shift in church history where God's kingdom is formally extended to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And there's actually a neat setup for this in verse 43. It's our last verse. So after all these miracles, Peter stays with a tanner named Simon on the edge of town. He stays on the edge of town because that's where tanners live. Tanners live on the edge of town because tanners handle dead animals. This is a Jewish area. Tanners are unclean. And yet, that's who Peter chooses to live with. Does that sound like Jesus? A little bit? But that's next week, and I do hope you come back for that. For now, how does the original audience apply what we've read about resurrection? Well, just as before... Theophilus would look backwards at Peter and Jesus and then even go back to Elijah and Elisha and he would be all the more persuaded that Jesus is very much alive and well. And the reason why is you can see him when you look at Peter. Not only that, I think Theophilus would look at the resurrection of Tabitha and be reminded of the resurrection that awaits everyone who trusts in the power of the name of Jesus. And that everyone is going to be a lot bigger next week. So how do we apply this? One way. As you become Christ-like, remember that the resurrection awaits those who are saved. Remember that the resurrection awaits those who are saved. This is just another reason why simply praying for bodily healing is a short-sighted hope. Because even if your broken body, even if you come in here and you're wanting healing, 
and your broken body body is healed right now this morning, you're still going to die. Even Tabitha would have died again. She dies again, I think, in this story. There's no evidence otherwise. That's going to happen to all of us. I mean, for me, one day, despite my lack of physical ailment currently, aside from not enough sleep, is the uh, the best case scenario that I have is that someday people are going to be gathered around my dead body, grieving, holding up the stuff that I made. That's the best case scenario. That's if they like me. But that's not the end. Jesus shows us here through Peter that salvation and resurrection are tied together. That whoever believes in the name of Jesus, like the disciple Tabitha, is saved and will be resurrected when Jesus returns. And when we are resurrected, guess what? We're still not doing anything new. We're just copying Jesus. That's your highest purpose. That's why I say things like salvation is the most important healing you can have. Is that it leads to resurrection. Your highest purpose is to be Christ-like because when it comes to salvation and resurrection, you and I have exactly as much hope standing before God and raising up ourselves as Aeneas and Tabitha did. They were paralyzed or dead. That's why Peter invokes the name of Jesus and not his own name. And that's why it's so strange and wonderful even to think that Jesus would heal, save, and raise anybody. And then allow himself to die. Just think about that. I mean, when I was, when I was hearing Bonnie's story, and I thought about Jesus doing those things and then allowing himself to die, it's confusing. I mean, she reminded me of John chapter 12, verse 27, where Jesus is nearing the cross and he prays this. Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Spare my life? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You see, Jesus could have healed himself, but it wasn't about the healing. It was about salvation. Ours. That we could be resurrected like him. That's why he chose to die. And that's why he rose again. So here's what just this means cosmically as we apply this. Friends, the dream did not die with Jesus. And it did not disappear into heaven when he ascended. Men like Peter... And men like Saul and Philip and so many others 
became like him, bringing salvation and giving a glimpse of the resurrection to come. So as you pray for healing and as you use your story like Bonnie did, whether you get healed or not, whether you're in sickness or health, give glory to Jesus. And as you look ahead to the resurrection, you're going to look just like Peter. And you're going to look just like Saul and Aeneas and Tabitha. And Jesus, that's your purpose. One more application for those who may be looking for a purpose. If you're not sure about Christianity, whether you're a visitor or whether just the last year has you all messed up, I call you to consider two things. Number one, allegiance to Jesus. No other name will save you and no other name will give you hope for the life to come. And second, I call you to the community here at Grace Fellowship Church. Because as you look on the faces of people right here who believe, sounds strange, but you look on the faces of Peter and you look on the faces of Saul and you look on the face of Tabitha and Aeneas and Philip and Stephen and Jesus. Because as you look on the faces of people here who believe, you can be confident that they, like all who have gone before, they are Christ-like too. So in that, grow with us. What Jesus began to do and teach, we are continuing. Let us do that by the power of Christ for the sake of salvation and the hope of the resurrection to come. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for what salvation is. I thank you that it's so much more than physical healing. Because God, I can remember back to when I was a kid and when I had tons of energy and my body just seemed like it would never break. And you know what? I wasn't saved then, so it doesn't matter. Lord, let us not spend our days longing for youth or complete health. Let us long for salvation and the resurrection to come both for ourselves and for the people that you have given us in our lives. Amen.